0: Welcome back to Inside the Ropes for 2021. We're back in the studio, hopefully sounding better and a great show to start. Hannah Green drops by and a huge thanks to everyone who participated so well in The Longest Day in Golf. Let's go.
1: You're listening to Inside the Ropes, Australia's must-listen-to golf show with exclusive content from both home and abroad. Subscribe through your favourite podcast app or listen at golf.org.au.
2: Well, you mad if you don't do any of those sorts of things. Uh, hello and welcome, everybody. Welcome to another year of golf and another year of Inside the Ropes. Hopefully everybody's had a fantastic off-season, a great holiday period, and we're all returning for the battle in nick than we've ever been before. 2021's upon us. Let's hope that we never see the like of 2020 again as we try and work our way through and out of this thing. Uh, Annie Marr back. Uh, all the regulars will be here, I'm sure, at various stages throughout the year, but it wouldn't be this podcast or this radio show without the man who pulls it all together—our heart and soul, our grand poo bar, Mark Hayes.
0: Welcome Good. back, Hazy. Thanks, Murray. Merry uh, festive, merry
2: festive, Festivus, Festivus. Festivus.
0: That'll do. Yeah. Uh, I hope we don't have to talk much about uh, COVID all through the year. That'd be my hope and wish. Yeah. But um, obviously, it's going to impact things as it rolls around the golfing world, as it does with every other aspect of our community. But it's great to have a bit of, um, I wouldn't say freedom just yet, but we're, mm. we're getting much closer to it as a community. So, um, yeah, it's starting off much better than uh, we were six months ago. So I
2: think we've all learned to live with the new norm. I, I, don't, I actually don't think I'll ever rake a bunker again. <laughs> and I don't know what it's going to be like to putt with a flag, not in the hole anymore. It's actually amazing how quickly you adjust It is to the new norm.
0: It really is i I didn't adjust so well the other day, Andy, when um a ball hit the flag stick and popped back out and a few of those four yep. inches towards me <laughs> yes, uh, but other than that, yeah, I mean it is it's just what you do now, yeah, it's just what you do, yeah, and if you know if you know your guys they're sort of your in a way you're golfing, bubble, you, you it's it's very normal if you don't know someone, you're still
2: bumping elbows it's it's actually really normal it is, and the one thing I will say, and I don't know somebody some nerd will probably. Um, actually quantify this at some stage. But not raking bunkers actually speeds up your round. You get in and out of bunkers so much quicker now, um, and I'm not sure golf course supers are going to be keen to have this um, considered as part of our new reality going forward. But you do get in and out of bunkers so much quicker.
0: Yeah, I think it's more problematic in winter when you've got heavier footprints in them, but as long as you can move the ball. But uh, Clates, for one, would argue, Mike Clayton would argue that bunkers aren't a big enough penalty when they're nice and fluffy and raked anyhow. So he says they are meant to be in the old terminology hazards. If you rake them too much, they become very simple to play out of for the good players. I've
2: never played... My bunker game has never been as good Mm. as it is now. Being able to just, you know, give yourself a preferred lie. Yeah. I've never played out of traps as well as I am in, in the last two or three months. I've hit more good bunker shots recently than I've had
0: before. I'm surprised that you're even going in bunkers, the amount of golf you've been playing. I in. haven't
2: been playing any golf, Hazy. I've oh. played about three, although I did my last round, I did have 41 points down at St. Andrews Ooh. Beach. So there you go. Wow. But fortunately, that hasn't registered on my handicap, and I don't know why. It was in the official competition results on the St. Andrews Beach website, but it hasn't registered so I should... Why isn't that registered oh, on? You, you Go on? Are you seriously I'm hitting me give, with I'll... a Golf Australia winch right off the top? <laughs> what? No, I'm not. No, because I'm playing in the blue jacket in a couple of weeks. Oh, yes. So I'm happy if it doesn't pop up because yeah. I reckon I'm going to lose
0: a couple of shots. I think
2: I might. So I'm quite happy if it doesn't <laughs> If it doesn't appear until after that. That'd be great. Uh, Hannah Green's going to join us um, on the way through for a chat. Her golfing reality does continue to be affected by, um, you know, COVID restrictions and quarantine realities and all the rest but Todd Harper, the CEO of... Cancer Council Victoria is going to join us to talk about, and we should flag this right off the top um, and give everybody who played, and there are over 4,500 people who teared it up in the longest day this year, last year. So the play is a massive tick, but for the sake of what we're about to talk about here and talk more with Todd Harper a bit later on, an even greater thanks and a debt of appreciation to those who donated, because the number that was raised this year was absolutely mind-boggling.
0: Well, Should we declare the number? I think
2: we should. Yeah, go on.
0: Uh, At the moment, and there's still little leaks of cash coming in here and there, but at the moment it's over $3.1 million nationally. I think everyone who listens to this who's had either a playing or a donating or an organisational part in that should take a massive bow. It's gone from being a nice idea to a, well, a stalwart of the charity world in sport inside a decade. And that's all down to the golfers who have taken it on board. And for those, we're we're calling, we're calling, we're speaking to you from Victoria, but for those who have done it, especially in the far North Andy with limited daylight compared to what we have down here, you're bloody legends running around 72 holes in a day in presumably fairly humid conditions as well. <laughs> yep. uh, good on you. I mean, seriously, $3.1 million, there's nothing to sneeze at. That just does so much for the cancer councils around Australia.
2: Oh, no doubt. So, look, we pre-recorded the interview with Todd Harper, who I caught up with yesterday. So we'll play that a bit later on. And I mentioned, if I could, if I could, there's a fellow called Andrew Buxton. who He's not doing this because he wants a pat on the back. He's This started because he and a bunch of his mates who are members at um, Sereno Golf Club here in Victoria lost a friend of theirs to melanoma and they decided on his anniversary to get together and do the 72 holes as a you know their mate did it hard let's let's have a day where we put ourselves through it and it they raised a bit of money um, and it seemed like a good idea so it's grown from that you know the little things big things grow you know has never been more of a reality than it is in this case so to, to Andrew Buxton who has pushed, and I've been on a little subcommittee with him, trying to generate a bit of media interest around the place. So I've I've been useless on that, <laughs> but I've seen him on, at the coalface, you know, bring Cancer Council on board and drive this with a vigour and an enthusiasm and a belief in the concept. And I think that's why it's worked. There's in a world where a lot of people are asking for public donations a lot, I think the reason the longest day is such a triumph is because it's conceptually a really good idea. Mm-hmm. It's not easy. Um, it's meant to be difficult, but those who push through and do it get such a sense of achievement out of it, and it's, it works on all of the levels that it's intended to work on. I think it hits all the marks. So, uh, to to you, Andrew, and your mates who started this, and and then everybody who's been involved in the building of it, I think um, massive credit to all of them. So, three
0: point one million, Andy. It's, it's unbelievable, Hozie. It, you know, it's um. It's a genuine powerhouse among mm. charities in Australia. I think it's, you know, the golfing community is exceedingly generous. What we do around Challenge Cancer is is mm. fantastic. Yep. Doing it for Jared, etc., um, longest day in golf, and other things that as they crop up, uh, they're all phenomenal. And we just, you know, we we, I think we've come of age as a community. There's a lot more. Uh, Camaraderie within the golfing establishment, I reckon, in the last little while. Maybe yep. it's COVID-related. I don't know, but I, I, I'm proud of what that's become from my Good perspective. On
2: Good on you. Well, I know you know everybody at GA has been working pretty hard at that nationally. From a top end of town, that's been a, a direction that you know you and your colleagues in in Golf Australia have been working towards for a long time. So if we're seeing it at the ground level, um, then um, it's credit to those up top who have been working hard. Uh, at, at that. Right. Uh, so there's heaps happening. Um, as I said, Hannah Green's going to join us after the break. So we'll get to her then, but I don't know where to start. Can we start at the play series? I, I know there's a whole lot of stuff happening internationally and, and, you know, we've got some great results in the last week to talk about, but as we speak, we're recording this on Thursday morning, they're teeing it up down at Rosebud. Now it starts and we'll be able to see it. And I know you've got the broadcast details to tell everybody about, but, Um, The Play Series, we've spoken about this. We mentioned it regularly last year. Well, the concept is realised today. And I must say, if I wasn't at work, I would have been straight down to Rosebud this morning. I would have loved to have been there and wandered around both the courses down there today and just seen this come of age. I'm so excited about this as a concept and I really hope it becomes the new cornerstone of the Australian tour in a large degree.
0: And for those who hadn't caught up on previous episodes of the podcast, you know, late last year when Nick Dasty Mm. um, and Kim Felton were telling us all about this, this is all the domestic PGA pros, WPGA pros, uh, elite amateurs, and then on the weekend, some very fortunate juniors. Mm. So I guess all four... Elements of tournament golf and the future of tournament golf coming to one into one tournament all trying to win the one prize all getting great experience learning off each other, particularly the youngsters, Um, but the men and the women together, just like the Vic open, um, you know, we've, we've talked about that, but this is absolutely the future. And it's given not only the PGA players a chance to play for the first time in quite a while, but the WPGA players have been crucified by what's going on with the, with their tournament schedule as per normal, and we'd be getting ready for the Women's Australian Open. There's nothing like that or the Vic Open. So this is a godsend for the, the female professionals around Australia as well, Andy. Mm, so mm. Um, I know that people – and it was great to me also, this is a slight uh, tangent, but Clayton's – again, Mike Clayton's going to get a lot of mention here. He will here. today, yes. He's down there caddying for Elvis Smiley um, this week at the Players' Series. Um, but he wrote a great story on the Golf Australia website about – how good
2: Rosebud is. It's, it's a fantastic facility. It's, you know, I applied down there not that long ago, and it is the, the work they've done on the two golf courses down there in the last couple of years uh, speaks for itself when you get down there and have a wander around, if you're lucky enough to get to play there. The, it, it's one of those classic Australian golf clubs. It's got a bit of a country club feel about it, but it's friendly. It's, um, it's not ostentatious, but it's got everything you want a great pro shop, welcoming people behind the jump, uh, terrific bar, great um, bistro, uh, lovely, um, beautiful outdoor sitting bistro area. It's, it's just one of those fantastic Australian golf club um, environments and everybody is made to feel welcome down there. Um, and the, as I said, the golf courses, they've got 36 down there. The two golf courses down there are fantastic. Done a great job with them. So. Place
0: reckons, that the I think the north course where they're playing, I think it's the north course that um, – is the the single greatest secret in Australian golf? Yeah, so, right. um, quite remarkable. I, I, I've never been there. Yeah, you love it. You'd oh, love I, it. I, just You're... listening to what you just said, I'm like, oh, let's go now. Yeah, it's right
2: <laughs> up your alley. You know, no ears and graces, yep. but but not, but 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 impressive. Yeah, you cool. know, so it's um, it's a fantastic facility. Beautiful time of the year. Still a lot of people down there. On the mornings of Beninchel holidaying, and hopefully there's a, and there's a you know big golf community down there, so hopefully they get along and support it.
0: And for those who've been inspired by Andy's words there uh, about the course, uh, it's being broadcast. This is fantastic by oh, the PGA of Australia, by the way, uh, broadcast live on Fox Sports five hundred three and KO. Uh, on Saturday this weekend, from two to five pm, and on Sunday from midday until five pm, Australian Eastern Daylight Time. So, yeah. wherever you are around Australia, your chance to get a glimpse at Rosebud, and I would, I don't even hesitate to say, any the future of Australian tournament golf.
2: Yeah, well, I think it's. I, I don't think you're overstating it. I think a lot of people are hoping it will be. So the the real interesting element of this, and there's a bit of a suck it and see, I reckon, with the scaling of the golf course, so that the women and the men can be competitive. It's all, you know, it's all done on, you know, averages of driving distances and iron. It's all, they've put it all into the big, you know, the big machine and they've spat it out. And this is where the T's for the women have got to be compared to the men on this course. So that, again, it's going to be from a competition perspective, who wins is going to be always great. But to see how that plays out, the scaling of the course for the men and the the women, it's going to be very interesting.
0: Uh, SUO is the one that you've got to have your eye on, I think, in particular,ly you know she's very familiar with all the courses on the on the southeastern side of Melbourne, mm. um, and she's back. She's been in uh, full training for you know best part of a month now, and um, is down there with Jeff Ogilvie, the tournament host. And mm. she's one who could really get going there. And if you know she's the one you've got to set the course up for for the women, so it's also a really good test, yeah, of course, for the people underneath her in the world rankings who are there on the WPGA side of things. So. To, can they keep up with Sue O? That's you know, a fairly, fairly strong question. You'll
2: remember Frank Marquezani, of course. Absolutely. Magnificent footballer. <laughs> Carlton and Fitzroy. Uh, played a bit at Essendon again, but we forget about that part of his career. Uh, they're local members down there, the Marquezanis, and there's a couple, boy and girl, son and daughter of Frank playing. So um, in terms of world rankings and expectations, I don't think either of them would be expected amongst too much of the punditry to to figure but home course advantage and knowledge are, tends to um, play yeah. very heavily in these sorts of events. So just keep an eye on the two Marcus over the weekend. Oh, I like the sound of that. All this right. has
0: got all sorts of good about it. The Players Series, hosted by Jeff Ogilvy. So congrats yeah. to him for getting involved and putting his, not only his time in, but his heart and soul. I mean, he's been doing media interviews. and He's, he's... been
2: remarkable in the last couple of months, yeah.
0: Jeff Ogilvy. Yeah. He really is. And I know he's, uh, without spilling too many beans, he's got another couple of media commitments coming up for the the industry. So it's fantastic to have him involved. You think about, you know,
2: where he's been in his golf journey. He's become, you know, he's a genuinely frontline, top-end international player. We don't have to go through the CV. You know enough about it. We want the greats of the game to come back and give and help, you know, the next wave. Yep he's doing it. He's living that Jeff Ogilvie. And I am um, I, I, I'm so full of admiration for what yeah. he's doing for grass, grassroots golf in Australia.
0: Agreed. And he, you know, let's face it, he still plays pretty well to yeah, Andy. So, too, Andy. Yeah. So, you know, he's not, uh, he's not in his prime anymore. I don't think he'd mind me saying that, but he has streaks where it still is yeah. very evident. And, didn't win at your lawn at the Gippsland Super sixers last week but on the second round he shot one of the better scores for the day and I think everyone got excited just to see it so yep. um,
2: congrats there to your man Marcus Fraser Well, um, there's a lovely segue the, the the if you haven't seen it you'll be able to find it so here's another guy who scaled back his you know mm-hmm. his, his competitive um, roster but it doesn't scale back the competitive instinct and um, this is a bloke who just loves the game of golf as much as any, you know, he will never stop playing. He'll, he'll be playing, you know, um, Wednesday comps at his local club when he's 65, Fraser. He's just that sort of fella. Um, his,
0: as long as there's a beer on the line. Correct.
2: And a steak sandwich. Uh, he He's chipping to beat uh, McPherson in the, was it the semi he beat or the quarter he beat yeah. Brighton? I think um, so semi 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 semi. Brian got yeah was one and guess because McPherson got to the playoff for third v fourth, it was pure Fraser. And nothing. It was a hard breaking right to left pin was set, just sort of on the on the on the bottom of a bit of a down slope. He was front right, probably fifteen meters off the front edge, just bunted a little wedge perfectly into the landing spot that he picked, and it just rolled. It probably. It probably broke from the side on angle. It looked like it broke about fifteen, twenty feet, and went in sideways, had to come in through the side door, such such was the, you know, the, the level of break that he had to contend with. Just went in dead center side door, perfect holding speed. It was classic Fraser. I mean, he's made his mark internationally because of his short game. Mm-hmm. And that short game came to fruition when it needed to against Andy Martin in the second round and then Against Mcpherson in the semi um good to see him win uh oh, he has a trophy for his kids.
0: he's a legend yeah he yeah. gives the the trophy to his kids was great um you know imagine imagine how what he would have done had he had a slightly more flexible spine shall we say <laughs> yes, Andy, yes, and he could have cranked his drives another thirty because his short game's still you know schmick it is it is uh, great to see that i want to just give a quick shout out to um a good friend of mine, Dean Lawson, who was the uh, number one seed yeah, after yeah. the stroke play section. And I had a good fortune to play a couple of rounds with him at the mighty Kerr-Lewis over the Christmas break when he was down training. And he's going places this year. Didn't, you know, match play is match play. It is what it is. He yep. qualified first down there amongst a really strong field. Um, I Just keep an eye out for Dean Lawson. Um, Ker lewis Gold Coast, wherever you want to claim him, claim him because he's going places this year.
2: All right. So keeping an eye out, let's start in Europe. Um... We've been telling people for a while, and this is no news to anybody who watches a lot of tournament golf like we do. We've been we've been saying, Jason Scriven, it's coming. It's coming. Now, in the end, he was, you know, four shy of Tyrrell Hatton, who's world class and he's, you know, emergent and continuing to be so. And for a player who's already a Ryder cupper, you know, he's still got... There's a level, I reckon, somewhere that Tyrrell Hatton hasn't found yet within his own game. I wouldn't be surprised if he wins a major championship. Five wins in his last 20 starts he's, globally. He's a very, very – cool, he's a world-class player. Yeah. So to run second to him, albeit four shots back, is no mean feat. Shoot 66 – the significant thing for Scrivener, I reckon, was shooting 66 in the last round to charge – you know, it was he it was there or thereabouts anyway, but to go past – you know, several world you including Rory McIlroy, who we should have a chat about again for a final round, you know, that wasn't where we wanted it to be. But we've been talking about Scrivener for a couple of years and he's getting, he's just methodically getting closer. The beauty of what he did is in the
0: afterglow of it all is a, the big price check, mm. like $1.1 million Australian is by far his biggest payday. Um, huge, <laughs> massive. huge. Um, I know his caddy from Perth is, uh, Rance DeGroeser, he was very excited too. And hopefully we're going to get them on uh, the podcast <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. In, a, in a couple of weeks' time. Um, but he's gone to 114, I think, in the world rankings. Mm. So that's important. Um, but the confidence, as you say, from beating Justin Thomas, mm. and Rory McIlroy, Justin Rose, handful of other players, Tommy Fleetwood, all major champions or in the top 20 in the world, is off the charts important for him because mm. now he's got with the Rolex series importance on the rankings and the points, he's basically home and host for whatever he wants to do for the rest of the year and, and subsequent years. So he's now playing with house money straight off the top at the start. And again, to me, Andy, I love watching the European tour. We, we'll, it's the first of probably 40 times we'll say that this year, but even if it is a Middle Eastern course and not a classic, yep, it's a great thing to see that course because we see it every year. We know the holes. Yep. Um, I, I really enjoy it. And, that, and the, 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 participants uh make it a better tournament. It was so much better to watch that yeah. than that thing in Heretic. California. Yeah. Um and I think the the guys who go there, um, you know, Justin Thomas, Rory McElroy had probably bigger callings this week coming in uh, Torrey Tory Pines, yeah. but they still got off their backside and went there because it's an important event. So I'm um, credit to them. And I, you know, full full credit to the European Tour for putting on such a great a great uh, tournament so early.
2: <laughs> Did you see the five minute angry uh, golfers? One of Fra- the all well, time greats. Magnificent. So it goes to what you're talking about. It goes to the commitment, the fun, yeah, um, the the esprit. It goes to all of that stuff. That there's there's something, and the, and it, I reckon it fee all of that feeds in to what we see routinely come right a cup. Tom, I reckon it's, Absolutely. All part, it's all part of that. So, for those
0: who don't know, go onto the European Tour social media. And I think it would be still favorited there and um, pinned to the top so you can see. It. It's called Angry Golfers. It's hilarious. It's, a, it's, it's basically hilarious. an AA meeting for people who are a bit, a bit sort of snarky on the golf course. And it's just got four or five guys, and the empty chairs are classic for me too, Andy. But four <laughs> yes. or five guys in there, a meeting hosted by Tommy Fleetwood, who's He's a pisser. He's
2: got, eight, <laughs> two of them I have, got genuine, oh. all, have yeah. got genuine acting. Him and Pepperill have got genuine high quality acting skills. It's unbelievable. Yep. Fleetwood. Yep.
0: So I, I love him. And uh, yeah, it's, 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 whatever you've got to do, to, even if you have to pay for internet to watch it,
2: it's worth <laughs> it. It is. It is. So we'll continue to watch Uh We're all getting a bit excited by Cam Davis. I know you were too, because I saw the social media thing starting to go through the roof. <laughs> yeah. He, um oh gee, it was exciting. I know the, there's elements about the court. There's a, you know, all of that. We talk about American golf a lot. But when there's an Australian who's in the mix and charging the way he was and holding his own, when the two guys he was around are clearly world class players, Siwo Kim and Pat Cantlay, who are shooting lights out. Like, you, you know, you've got to keep making birdies to stay in touch. Say what you want to say
0: about the course and the setup and everything. 27 birdies, though, three shots, without a bogey. Extraordinary.
2: On, I say. 27. Eight under, eight under, 11 under for the last <laughs> round. Canlay shoots 61, and he still can't win. It's It was and – and those three, when you look at what everyone else did for the day, those three just went, see ya. Yeah. They were like the breakaway from the peloton, and no one else could go with them. No. And our bloke was in the middle of it all and did not look like a, a misstep, really. Like, he was so – a couple of times he thought, oh, I've under that or get over and then it ends up a foot away from the pin when he carries, you know, bunkers. Yeah. It, but it was just beautiful to watch. He So he shot 30 on the
0: outward nine to put himself right in the mix and then was with it the whole way until the last couple of holes as the other guys just surged a little bit. So two birdies on the back nine to get to his mm-hmm. um, day's score of 64. But the other seven holes had putts that were legitimate, could have, would have, should have. Yep. Um, you can't count them. That's, that's, that's what golf is happens for other blokes too, but they were like, he could have shot anything. Mm. And I think that's the sign that he's not afraid in that company. He's previously, his wins have come from four or five back going out, shooting the lights out before the pressure. Mm -hmm. He was in that mix this time, Andy, he Mm. was, he was part of the drama for the final three hours of that tournament. So just hearing him talk too. um, Big Cam, we have had him on the podcast a couple of times, but he seems much more I belong here now mm. in his speech. Mm. So, you know, he got married in Seattle last late last year and he just seems like he's matured. I don't think it's too far uh, a stretch to expect him to be extremely competitive in some of the, uh, even the middle or the bigger tournaments later this year on the PGA Tour. Mm. Mm. He's got that game.
2: So there's two two takeaways from me other than, you know, the Australians. In... Uh, Abu Dhabi, McElroy, and in California, Tony Finau, there's they're both great players and they're both contending more often than not. But there's just this thing that's starting to creep in and we know about Finau. He can't seem to get it done on the last round. And he just he was there and then he and then he couldn't go at the end. And McElroy shoots seventy. Now now Rory's still a winner. We understand that. But it just there's just a little watch on and We've seen enough we've seen this happen a bit put,
0: too often. Are you putting McElroy in the female
2: category? No, but I reckon there's a there's a little watch on both of them for the same. Just not you can't win every week. Winning no. winning's hard. But I think when most of us probably saw McElroy's name where he was after the third round and thought, oh well he's he's the player to beat. Um and I think maybe the same, you even with, you know, Cantley and Siwoo Kim and a couple of others around. A lot of people probably thought, oh, well, Fernow's going to take some beating here. And at various stages in the last round, he was leading or co-leading as well. But he just – there's just – it is hard. And monkeys get on backs and all of that sort of stuff. They grow too. They do get a bit bigger. Probably on bigger on some backs than others. McElroy's doesn't need to prove anything to anyone. But it's just a little watch, I reckon. Just, you know, just yeah. as we go through the early stages of 2021.
0: McElroy could never play golf again. Tomorrow onwards, and his career is already his Hall of fame. fame. So, no, yeah, that's right. He doesn't have anything to prove. Um, Finow, now, look, I, I had the very good fortune to share a couple of um courtesy car rides at the US Open when I was at Pebble Beach. I, I, you couldn't find a nicer No, no, so I, I don't good. think it bothers him in the slightest what's yep. going on. Yep. So, let's put that on the table. But he's made a lot of teams, Andy, you know, US teams and, and consideration for other events and uh without winning. So it it speaks to his consistency that he's yeah, even in yeah. that mix without yeah. victories, but he's just been um, inundated, I think, is probably the right word, with critics in the past two or three times he's experienced this. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a, it, it'll get to a gorilla and then a King Kong pretty quickly because it becomes a topic of conversation, even for the very supportive CBS, NBC teams mm. who don't want to be seen to be potting someone, they're going to have to start talking about it soon. Uh, and he's the nicest bloke, Andy. Honestly, yeah. if I, I could barrack for someone on the American side, Tim.
2: Well, you're allowed to talk about it without being hateful. Yeah, yeah, you're allowed to just identify it as well. This is a little thing that for him to be the next level. And he, hey, we can talk about it. They can talk about it. He he wants to win. You know, he he doesn't want to keep running fourth, fifth, sixth, and seven, and shooting three or four worse than the winner each week in the final round. So. You know that's what he's out there for. I mean, yeah. he's, making a, he's making a truckload, he, money wise, no Correct. problems. But, um, that's once you get enough of that, it becomes about something else for these guys. So, um, I'm sure that once the first load of
0: silverware gets mm-hmm. dumped on the mantelpiece, that the more will follow. Uh, he is that at ease with his world, yeah. Um, you know, his, his life is his family, he's got the big, um. Now I'm going to offend someone here. It's either Samoan or Tongan background. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep. I think Samoan. So I think it is Samoan. Yeah, uh, you know that great family aspect of those communities in the Pacific um, shines through his life, and I don't really think it bothers him ultimately. So that gives him a, a sort of defence mechanism yeah, against yep, what it is that yep. you're saying. But um, he he he's too good a player not to have won more.
2: Yeah, yeah. And so just on perspective, before we get away from this, McElroy did, and look. Rory's got a lot of reasons to be pretty comfortable and have afforded himself a, a broader world view. We don't often hear it from golfers. McIlroy's becoming more interesting on this front in the last twelve months than he has been. Maybe he's you know, getting a bit older and he's starting to feel a bit more comfortable saying stuff. But what he said about you know pandemic-related realities and uh, did a, a pretty broad interview before <coughs> before we teed it up in um, in Abu Dhabi, and it was a really refreshing comments that he made, particularly in a world at the moment where some sports people aren't necessarily covering themselves with too much glory <laughs> That's a It's in Melbourne, you know, so, um, he, I thought, I thought, think he's, you know, he's doing a, he's making a lot of sense. Um, uh, he's the Ogilvy of the next generation. Feels a bit like that, doesn't it? Yep. He's, yeah, it feels like he's starting to become, oh, Rory's about to talk. We should have a listen to this. Correct. Yeah, There's a bit, there's a bit of that. Um, should we get a break out of the Hannah Green's going to join us. There's a heap of other stuff we've got to get to. We'll, we'll, we'll park all that for the last segment. So Hannah Green's going to join us, Todd Harper, to give us uh, uh, the, the take from the Cancer Council's perspective on the results from the longest day uh, to come uh, as well. You're listening to Inside the Ropes.
1: Let's go back Inside the Ropes with Golf Australia.
2: Great to have you with us. Uh, we're very lucky by virtue of the relationship that, Mark Hayes has with so many players around Australia that we do have access to many of them. And they've got friends of the podcast, great friends of the radio show. And one of those is Hannah Green, who's um, been an inspiration to players all around Australia for a couple of years now and a good friend of Inside the Ropes. And as we're gearing up for a huge 2021 on our first show back, she's been good enough to give us a few minutes of her time. Uh, Hannah, great to have you back on the show and Happy New Year.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me again.
2: Where are you and what have you been doing? You haven't played since uh, the Tour Championship December, late December last year. What, what have you been doing and, and where have you been doing it?
1: Um, so as soon as the Tour Championship finished, uh, I jumped on a plane a couple of days later. So I arrived in Perth uh, Christmas Eve, did my two-week quarantine. Um, so I've just ticked over two weeks of being out. So it's been it's been really nice. Um I've literally been doing nothing, um, which is kind of what I wanted to do because it had been five months since I'd been home. And normally in January, I'm actually practicing and getting ready for Big Open and Oz Open. So it's quite strange for me not to be practicing just yet. And the last time
0: I think you spoke to us, Han, you were you know, you know were adamant about trying to get home more often and, and having done well enough to sort of make that a possibility through the year. And then those whole plans just got blown completely sideways last year by everything that happened in the world. Is it Was it a tough year in that respect for you?
1: Yeah, I must admit the five months, um, it did go a lot quicker than I thought it would. Um, I'm not sure if that had anything to do with, you know, not traveling for five months prior and just being super excited to get back out there and playing. But it also helped that I had um, Sue O, we we're both in the exact same position. Um, we, you know, have obviously full status out there. So we, we couldn't really find any breaks in the schedule to, do in order to come home and, you know, to do two weeks quarantine as well it just made it that much harder. So we pretty much stayed with each other every week and had each other. And I haven't seen her for four weeks now, which is really quite strange. But, um, yeah, it was it was difficult, but it was a lot easier than I thought it was going to be once I left her.
0: And we mentioned Sue a little while ago in relation to the uh, the Rosebud tournament, the Players Series down in in Victoria this week. Was there any thought that you might sort of hurriedly dust off the clubs and come back and continue the little love affair with the uh, with the with Sue, and also get, I, I guess, get to play with you with Jared Felton as well?
1: Yeah, I did honestly think about it, but as soon as there was community spread over Melbourne and you know West Australia closing the borders and everything, um, I just felt like. I wasn't ever going to be giving it my full hundred percent with practice. And I have done, I've hit a couple of balls just casually and I have no idea where the club is. So I didn't really <laughs> want to embarrass myself either and maybe take an opportunity for someone else to, you know, play well and make some money. Um, so I do wish I was there and I'll certainly be watching it this weekend since it's on KO, but, um, Hopefully, maybe the borders can open up in a couple of weeks or within the next week, and maybe I can come and watch the event at Moona. I don't think I'll be playing, but maybe just just a spectator.
2: So, do you like the concept? We had a chat about it in the first segment, and you know we're we're extremely excited about what this might become. You know, as a cornerstone of Australian golf, do you do you like the concept of the player series?
1: Yeah, I think it's great, and you know, there were obviously it was supposed to launch last year, and then COVID hit, so I think. Um, you know, there's only a couple at the start of this year, but who knows what could happen at the end of the year. But I think it's great, you know, obviously by 2025, 26, you know, they want at least 20 to 25 events. And I think that can easily happen. Um, and I think it'd be great, you know, for players that might, like myself and Sue, to actually be involved in play. Um, it's a great way for us to get ready for our seasons. Um, and, yeah, great for players um, in Australia that, you know, might not have status elsewhere to be able to play and make some money.
2: Mm. so what what, so in terms of you know we you sort of outlined and we understand the domestic realities with you know the west australian border so so when when is your next you know trip to the airport when are you next getting on a plane and 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 when does the schedule really sort of kick off for you
1: um i have a flight booked on march 20th um to go back to the u.s and that will be for the kia classic um and from then I have no idea when I'm going to return Um, I haven't yet seen my team and had a meeting to discuss you know what would be the best you know scenarios for me Um, because like Hazy said I do struggle with homesickness and you know my my goal in 2019 was to do six or six to eight weeks maximum which is obviously going to be a bit tough um, coming back to Australia so I'm going to have to think about it. What events do I sacrifice to come back home in in order to make sure that I'm, you know, happy while I'm away and, you know, reset for the back half of the season. So, yeah, that's probably the thing that I've got to start thinking about before I get into my training, just to make sure that I'm, you know, have all my goals set for this year and, um, you know, within reason, know what's going to happen this year.
0: And there's been no bigger advocate for... WA, golf and and Perth, etc than yourself over the last handful of years. How big a role is you needing and wanting to be home going to play in your career? Do Mm. you think now that you've done it for two or three years full on, you're probably at a better place to answer that question. Um, I say that in relation to, uh, you know, you're going to miss three or four tournaments here at the start of the LPGA season, but you're doing it, you know, to make sure that you've got it, you're full. You know, you're you're up to pussy's bow with, uh, you know, love of home and home cooking and, you know, a chance to chat with Jared and and all these things that are you know super important to you. Can you put a estimate on what it's going to look like for you for the rest of your career?
1: Yeah, I mean, I've been very fortunate that I've been able to use the Golf Australia House in Orlando, Florida. Uh, last year for pretty much every off week that I had so I probably spent six to eight weeks there which is very unusual for me to have off weeks when I'm in the U.S. I always maybe have two or three where I have to find accommodation so I was really grateful to have that house this year or last year sorry and um, I was even talking to Sue about possibly getting a base over here but then again if I had it my way I probably wouldn't really spend much time there it would just be a place where I would. You know, leave some clothes, leave some golf clubs, and I just feel like I wouldn't really be getting anything out of it because both Sue and I would love to you know make Australia and keep Australia as our base and I think it's it's quite difficult because my entire team is here in perth um as great as as it is to you know have you know travel back and forth it's quite difficult for me, but I don't want to send my whole entire team to the US, I'd rather come home. So I think it's gonna be a very important thing and who knows, maybe later in my career I will find a place that I do call home in the US. But for now I'm I'm quite happy to spend thirty plus hours travelling home and being home.
0: And that's that's a warmer feeling to you than the daunting aspect of being away?
1: Yeah. I guess because I've every time I travel as an amateur, you know, I'd maybe be gone four to six weeks. And then I'd come home for two or three months. Um, I feel like maybe it's a little bit different if you did a lot of travel younger and for a long extended time. And I feel like four to six weeks is really not a lot these days. Um, yeah. But yeah, even talking to my parents this year, um, they asked if you know I wanted them to come to events, and I said, well, it depends. First, it depends on the borders, but it's still as much as I'd love to have everyone surrounded around me. It just still doesn't feel the same as me coming home um so yeah it it is a big thing about me coming back to Perth and seeing everyone and being an environment that I know
2: it's a really refreshing I've got to say you and Hazy you've spoken about this for somebody who listens to you speak on this show and you know tunes it it's really refreshing to hear somebody search for that you know work-life balance the way you are I mean I can imagine what you do Hannah would be very consuming for a lot of people and um, I don't know whether you've seen people out on tour. Uh, the more time you spend, you know, in Europe or particularly in America, but who who you get a sense that they're unhappy. I don't want you to mention any names, and you can tell me I'm completely wrong. Sort of barking that it's not the case, but if if you're if you're witnessing people who are there because, you know, they they're, they're dr- so driven, they they park all of the other stuff because they're on this, they're chasing this thing. It must be. Um, an eye-opener to see people who are battling to get that that balance right?
1: Yeah, I think golf is a perfect example of how things can, you know, you can get too caught up in work and then it actually affects your work. Um, I think when I travelled in 2017 and 2018, I was gone for three months and, yeah, I was missing home and just felt like it was all business. I didn't really get to switch off a whole lot and, um You know, 2019 changed it up and obviously had some success. So I was certainly enjoying myself off the golf course a lot more, which made me feel a lot better when I was on the golf course. So it's definitely all related. And, you know, everyone has a very different approach. Some girls want to just be out there for five to 10 years, make sure that they're working the hardest as possible and just make as much money as they can. And some girls, you know, want to be out there for 15 to 20 years and just have a really good time. And, you know, obviously they financially want to win and have lots of money in the bank, but they also realize that they've got to be happy at the same time. So everyone's really different. You know, I hope to be out on tour for 10 to 15 years. And obviously I want to win every week, but I realize that's not going to happen. It's pretty much impossible to win every week. So I think having some tough experiences kind of makes you realize it a little bit more.
0: And I want to ask you about one of those tough experiences if you don't mind because you know I think by your own standards that you probably set for yourself without knowing 100% that you know 2020 on the golf course wasn't what you had in mind. Can I take you back to Portland where you 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 went up to defend your title there was the bushfires there was all sorts of things going on your name on posters and face on posters et cetera. You find yourself in the mix again uh in the you know when the whips are cracking late in the tournament. I don't think I've seen you look more despondent, I hope you don't mind me saying this, than when things sort of went awry. and Not mm-hmm. that you were impersonal, but, you know, because you still gave the winner the hug and et cetera. But uh, you look gutted to me when, when it didn't work out for you in your title yeah. defence at Portland. Is that a fair comment? Mm-hmm. And, and what pressure does that put on you?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I did, uh, We don't have leaderboards out in the golf course anymore. Um, and... I'd say in most of my interviews, I've always said that I'm a big leaderboard watcher, so it was really quite strange. Um, the putt that I had on 15, um, you know, I thought it was in, and I literally walked it in, which I never do, and it looked out, and I was like, oh, here we go, like, what did I just do? You know, just a bit of, you know, cockiness got me you know, bad luck type of thing, um, and then I hit my next shot, which I wasn't really comfortable with in the first place, and then it Plugs and I was like, oh, okay. And so, because I obviously remember the how um things finished in 2019, and you know, I made a birdie on 15, I 2 putted 16, birdie 17. So, I had such a great run in 2019, and then it completely changed the next time. So, yeah, I was definitely very flat. um I didn't realize with my not necessarily a gas, but with my poor finish that I wasn't even going to finish in the top 10 or even close to the top five. So, once I actually finished my round, um, I saw Mark Gans, the uh, CEO of uh, Cambia, and you know he said he was so proud of me to be even like in that position in the first place to defend. And once I saw my friend Ash and Georgia in the playoffs, I thought it was probably the best thing that I could possibly do was actually go and watch and see who won, uh, versus just you know packing up my suitcase, sit, sitting in the hotel and just dwelling on the round. So yeah, I was definitely dis- deflated. Um, And I think that kind of motivated me for the rest of the season.
0: So how important was that if we're we're tending towards the, you know, to a championship that Andy mentioned before? And obviously Jin Young-Ko got away and was too good in the week. And, you know, that's that's what the world number one is right now. But how important was that to your year? Um, I guess somewhat in a financial sense, but more in a mental sense, just to know that, you know, you've got that fight in you when things weren't going as perfectly as you'd hoped.
1: Yeah, I felt like 2020 was a strange year. I felt like if one week I was putting great, the next week or that week I wouldn't drive it great. So there wasn't really any progress that I was making with my scores at the end of the day. So I actually had quite a lot of lessons at US Open, which was the week prior to CME. Um, Had Richie on the phone, you know, he was staying up till midnight, did a few hours with him, worked on my swing and, you know, just had to reset. Um, a few things and go back to basics which is usually what I have to do and I don't know if it's just Richie telling me to do it um, you know I have all my notes written down on my phone and I do read them but it's just I don't know possibly hearing it from someone else um, so when I finally got to CME it was actually a different because we had a Monday finish at US Open um, I flew back to Orlando stayed the night there um, got tested on Tuesday didn't even touch a club that day um, was completely exhausted from the week prior and then, you know, played nine holes on Wednesday, So it was a very unusual preparation for me. And I jokingly said to my caddy, you know, is this what I've got to do from now on to get a runner-up finish type of thing? Um, and he <laughs> obviously joked <laughs> around and said, yeah, that's fine. Um, but no, it was, it was a different week for CME, but the preparation that I did do was probably one of my better days of actually focusing, um, you know, not getting distracted by other players on by my phone, you know, just, felt like I really needed to knuckle down that Wednesday prior to playing on Thursday and I haven't really had great results at CME at Tibron, so um, I was very surprised with the week uh, it just felt like a very different golf course which is obviously really nice to finish runner-up.
2: Talking to Hannah Green um, there's any number of ways you can measure you know success in, in this game you know there's so many numbers and since the middle of 2019, I should have counted. I'm not sure how many times you've played you know, tournament golf. I'm going to say it's about maybe you've played 25 tournaments since you know, the middle of 2019. You've only missed two cuts. Does that is that something you take great pride mm-hmm. in, Hannah? Even if you want to win, you know, and that's a stay. You want to be in contention. But even when you're not, you, you get to the weekend. Is that something that you, you you take pride in?
1: Yeah, so I have noticed that. You know, this year in 2020, I only missed one cut, which is great. And um, you know, that's something that I said after my rookie year is that I think I missed nearly 10 cuts. And I said, you know, I really want to become more of a consistent player. Um, Whether that means I don't have as many top tens, but I'm you know, missing less cuts. I would would rather that. Um, So yeah, it's it's been a quite a strange, probably last 12 months. I feel like I've gotten off to a little bit of a slow start on Thursdays and. Fridays, I'm actually having to think about the cut, which is, you know, obviously not a great thing. But you know, you obviously want to play on the weekend, so I don't know what it is. I feel like once I actually finally get a good round on Thursday or Friday, uh, I definitely feel a little bit different versus trying to, you know, make the cut and thinking about what I need to shoot.
0: Where are you, Hannah? Hannah Green, we're talking to mm-hmm. Andy, as you mm-hmm. keep saying. I should, re- I should uh, every now and again remind. We me.
2: know who we're talking to, <laughs> but somebody
0: just tuning in. Hannah, where are you? <laughs> on the scale, uh, zero to hundred, of the final product that's going to be Henna Green?
1: Um, I'm probably like 60%. I feel like I have a lot more to give. Um, you know, a lot of people always ask me what I want to do once I you know do decide to finish with golf and I've always said that I'll always live in Australia and, you know, hopefully I can help people in some way. Um, I don't think I could ever be a golf coach. Uh, I don't think I have the eye for it, to be honest, but, I would love to be in the golf industry somehow Um, and, yeah, helping um, golf here in Australia. So I don't know. I feel like there's a lot more left in me, Um, but obviously I've got to take that slowly. I can't just go full steam ahead and forget about my own career. Um, Got to take it in drips and drabs, I guess
0: you mentioned richie we should Coach richie smith before and and you know when when you had that um that big major championship win we we joked with you or you you told us that you were you know was it a 4 out of 10 was it driving or something yeah. for that week when, so when you say <laughs> 60, 60% along that pipeline is that your golf as well or just you as a woman
1: um i think both i uh, i mean if i for some reason didn't win any more events in my career, I think I would still be very happy to say that I'm a major championship winner and you know two-time winner. Um, but obviously, that's not how I feel now that I have had you know taste of success and uh, been in contention. I obviously want to have more. But I think yeah, golf is a great great a game, great game um, to. Grow your personality and um, make you become a better person, not just a better player.
2: Well, okay. Well, in fifteen or twenty years, when you want to, you know, come back here and set back up in Australia, and you want to, you're not sure what it looks like, Hannah. But you, you know, you know, you want to do something in the golf industry. There's a chair for you on this table. Hazy and I will be, we'll be in, will be in Zimmer frames by then, <laughs> and um, probably soon sort of dribbling <laughs> and having food uh, given to us in a tube or something by those. Days. So you're more than welcome to join us on inside the ropes if you like.
1: <laughs> I'm sure this won't be
2: my last show I will definitely have <laughs> good idea <on> go. <laughs> Hey, it's always a joy having you on um, uh, I feel like we, we get to know a bit more about you every time and I've really enjoyed listening to you and Hazy have a chat today so uh, mate thanks for coming on the show, good luck between you know, now and getting on that plane and uh, we'll all be watching again uh, all in your corner so um, good luck for for, um, for everything in, in your way in 2021 thanks so. for coming on the show.
1: Thanks, guys. Appreciate having me on the show.
2: Good on you. Hannah Green, 2019 LPGA champion, uh, one of the good people in Australian golf, joining us on the show. No, going with Todd Harper, Cancer Cancer Victoria CEO, joining us on the other side of the break to talk about the success of The Longest Day. Let's go back Inside the Ropes with Golf Australia. Welcome back to the show. Regular listeners to Inside the Ropes will know all about the longest day and hopefully, like Hazy and I and a couple of our mates, a heap of you participated in it this year, if not for the first time um, as a part of your golfing existence these days. Um, from little things, big things grow, they say, and this is now becoming exactly what those who imagined it in the first place hope it might become for the Cancer Council, originally of Victoria, but hopefully um, around Australia now. uh, It's been a remarkable result in 2020. Todd Harper is the CEO of Cancer Council Victoria, and he's been good enough to join us to tell us all about it. Todd, thanks for joining us on the show, mate.
3: A pleasure, Andy. Look, I've got the easy job. You you have... um fronted up again uh to do the this marathon endurance event so i take my hat off to you i'm very happy to be here
2: so um it's a joy for us to do it um so so that's that's the absolute given there tell us about the result everyone who does it now knows that we do it to raise money for you know for melanoma uh, but, but now more broadly cancer research and treatment um tell us about the result this year todd
3: It was a fantastic um, event, Andy, and uh, I really want to say thank you to everyone who was involved because this is a a tall order for all of us. We have about two out of three Australians will be diagnosed with uh, skin cancer before the age of 70, so there's a lot of need there. Across Australia this year, we had 4,665 golfers who took part, who raised an incredible $3.13 million, which is just remarkable, and that's... That was up, uh, last time I checked, about 120% on last year. So as you say, this is really getting some momentum now. And we're so grateful to all those golfers who lined up to take on the challenge.
2: $3.13 million, Todd.
3: Incredible effort. Just incredible. And, you know, what makes this even more remarkable, Andy, aside from the endurance aspect of it, is what large parts of the country and particularly Victoria had been through with the challenges of COVID and all of those things that we put up with during um, the year Mm. to then see this sort of result just remarkable.
2: So I don't know when you first heard about the longest day whether you were on the ground floor of this thing when it was sort of first proposed and 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 participated in but um, in terms of all of the fundraising that is done for your organisation and others around Australia, how significant is that? Is that figure to you know what you need to be doing for people who need help?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So this is becoming a really significant program for us, particularly in terms of what it can deliver. So we've been able to fund a number of um, biomedical research projects into skin cancer. We've been able to put um, uh, dermatoscopes into the hands of gps to detect skin cancers at the earliest stage all of this type of work has been made possible because of uh, because of longer stay and you're right you know it started from a very small event it was a group of um, a group of guys in um in melbourne yep. who would um, challenge themselves and it turned into just a remarkable event that now attracted uh, four and a half thousand golfers right across
2: Australia just remarkable it's incredible Todd. Oh, look I'm happy to I think it was Andrew Buxton and a couple of his mates down at the Sereno Golf Club who'd lost a friend of theirs to um to skin to melanoma and you know the, on the anniversary of his death a year later they decided look look let's go and um, let's go and play I think there might have been eight of them let's go and play 72 holes let's walk it let's you know make sure that it It hurts because what their mate went through in the treatment was far tougher than anything they were going to endure playing a game of golf. And I think Andrew and his friends, particularly Andrew, saw something in this. And it would have been, I can can only, my memory says seven or eight years ago, I suspect it might have been the first time that they did that. Um, This has taken hold and got some traction off the back of his imagination. Um, You know, pretty quickly, really.
3: Yeah, I think, yeah, that's absolutely right. And Andrew did a remarkable job, as, as, as you know. And I, I think what this does, Andy, is, is combine a few things that people appreciate. One is getting out and playing golf, yep. a lovely time of year, getting out and um, with your friends, your golfing buddies, and doing it for a good cause. So you put those three together, and I think they've become the sort of secret sauce to this really wonderful event. Great social connection, great physical activity, Doing it with friends and doing it for a really important
2: cause. Speaking of Todd Harper, CEO of Cancer, Council of Victoria. Todd, Todd, how do we keep this? This is a, it's been building to this and this was the hope that it could get to where we've sort of seen it get to in 2020. How do we now make this thing um, continue to grow and, and be something that becomes even more significant?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Good point, Andy. We'd love more golf clubs to come on board. We'd love more golfers to come on board. Uh, you can go to our website at www.thelongestday.org.au or call us on 1300 65 And we'd love to talk to you about how you can get involved in this really wonderful event that's just doing wonderful things for um cancer patients right across Australia.
2: And is the reality, just before we let you go, is the reality that, that this money and the people who are going to be putting it to good use is actually going to be saving lives? Absolutely.
3: You know, The whole point of funding the types of research that we fund, the types of investments that we make, is we want to be preventing skin cancer deaths. Now, if we think about it, most of these cancers, in fact, 95% of skin cancers, can be successfully treated if they're found early enough, and of course we've got the additional opportunity to prevent them by being safe in the sun, being sun smart. Mm-hmm. So the more people we get participating, the more lives we will save. So that's that's the I think the big goal for all of us who are involved in the longest day.
2: Todd, um, thanks for. Uh, your continued um, support of you know the the concept in the in the first place it's been a really wonderful um cooperation between you know those who have have had the imagination to come up with the longest day and then the support of the cancer council who have you know really given us the platform to um to to see this thing you know build into what it's become so let's hope that You know, we're talking about a new record number next year. Let's hope the four and a half thousand becomes eight thousand, nine thousand, fifteen thousand, twenty thousand plays in the next couple of years, and that three million dollars plus becomes something even more substantial. Um, uh, keep up the good work. Thanks for joining us on the show.
3: That'd be great. Thanks, Andy. Thanks to you for your uh, continued involvement into Golf Australia. This wouldn't have been possible without all of you. So thank you very much.
2: Good on you. Todd Harper, the CEO of Cancer Council Victoria, $3.13 million raised uh, the longest day 2020. So to everybody who participated and everybody who financially supported those who participated, good on you. It's a, a, it's a resounding success. Uh, A break here on Inside the Ropes. Uh, We'll finish up the program on the other side of this. Let's go back inside the ropes with Golf Australia. Welcome back to the show. A few bits and pieces are left to tick off before we finish. Remiss of us not to mention probably uh, the fact that there was no Australians playing uh, has caused me to make the oversight in the first segment of the LPGA event in Orlando. Just caught a beat, Danielle Kang, in the first hole of that playoff. There, a couple of you know girls who we're going to be seeing. Just about every week, I reckon they'll be in the mix. You know, more often than not, those two.
0: Good to see Jess back, mm. physically fit again, and and Nally, I think is the one to watch. I yep. think this year, and Danielle Kang was unbelievable last year for periods, and obviously is going to be up there again. Um, we you know we mentioned briefly Jin Young Ko when we were talking with Hannah. Mm. Um, but the, the top of the world women's game is epic. Um, it's going to be you know we all just think that. Hannah or Minji might bob up and win a major here or there, but it's hard going now. There's no standout Lorraine or Ochoa, Curry-Webb type players. There's 10 or a dozen who could bob up and win. So I just want to make mention, and and he's partly the reason this has happened, Andy, is Mike Wan Mm. uh, news that we need to I guess brush up on here over summer. Mike Wan, the long-time commissioner, I think he's in his eleventh year. At some stage this year, he's going to walk away from the LPGA reigns and big shoes to fill. Big shoes. He's done an epic job. Most importantly, in my mind, he's unified all the women on tour. Mm. Um, They're a force now, and and you know the LPGA's got a um, a viable voice in in terms of kicking its importance, its own importance around mm. to the to the broader media, you know, watch the women, mm. watch them. Mm. You know, they never used to say that. Mm. Uh, and the players are on board and the next person who steps into that role, hopefully female, but it could be anyone, um, has got a tall order. But I do think he'll have left the ship in the fairly calm waters.
2: I love the fact that he's embraced the, um, the um, international nature yep. of women's golf there was a little while there as the Korean started to really emerge, there was some sounds in the States in particular that weren't terribly pleasant. Yeah. Um, but he, I think he's, he's understood that he's seen it, he's heard it and he's in a really understated way. He didn't get on and, but he's taken everyone with him mm-hmm. rather than say, he sort of be overt in his confrontation of any of that other stuff. Um, and he leaves now with a, A women's game in America where you just don't – it probably still exists somewhere, but you don't see it anymore. You don't hear it anymore, which I think is a credit to everybody.
0: And we were five, as you say, we were five, six, seven years ago down potentially heading towards a path where players like, say, Young Kim Mm. and uh, Jin Young Ko and Young and Lee Six, all these players could easily have been playing KLPGA and we'd never see them on the world stage. Unless that became a, a televisable, if there's such a word, Uh, tour um so he's done really well to get them in the tent yep uh and and, there's no no reason the klpga and and the japan tour for that matter can't thrive as well yes without him they wouldn't be part of the global scene so that's great
2: yeah no the stronger game is at the top the stronger it should be everywhere else you mentioned mike clayton uh we're going to mention his name a bit in the show when we're talking about the um player series at rosebud um the 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 obsession, I think that Matt Goggins had for Seven Mile Beach there in Hobart. Um, I think he's been talking. To, I read a story somewhere during the week where he's been badgering is the wrong word, been encouraging Clayton to take this on board for somewhere in the range of range of ten to fifteen years. He's 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 him and his group of they know about. They've had this block of land. They 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 see it for what it is. Well, it's come to fruition. So Clayton, um, Devries, and Pont the design group have now been commissioned to build this. It's going to be a public access golf course. Clayton said Pine Valley by the sea. Now, now you know Mike Clayton as well as anybody. Mike Clayton does not throw glib lines no. like that around um, without being prepared to back it up. Pine Valley by the sea.
0: I wish I could tell the story, but I'd have to get into a different ratings time here, Andy, of and, uh, that. Uh, Matt Goggin told me during the week about what Clates once said about the land, but if I was to paraphrase it and clean it right up, yeah, even without being um, taken to its fullest extent, the topography lends itself to a course that should only be second to Royal Melbourne is basically Clates' wow. assessment in Australia. Yeah. So we're not just talking about um, just, I say just because they're, they're all in the top 50 in the world courses. Um, but all the northern tasmanian courses the two at bambumbugle yep. the two on King Island this one stands to be better in terms of its natural layout i I find that staggering that, so do I. I you know it for those who are unaware where seven mile beach is if you've ever flown to Hobart you land if you if you land facing the north it's the land immediately on your right as you're starting to touch down so it's it juts out like a um almost like a Dolphin sort of jumping into the water, into the um, into the water uh, when it's going to be surrounded on three sides by the by the water. So it'll be, an, I guess, an out and back thing. There's room for more than one course out there, but mm. but um, restrictions on Goggin and his crew have meant that they can only build one, as you say, a public course and one clubhouse. So it's not going to be a big whiz bang bells resort. You know, it's it's going to be one, I hopefully fairly rustic course, Sandy, from yeah. my perspective, yeah. and 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 a clubhouse and. Not unlike Bugle, um, I think is the order of the day. So, just wow! And to think that we could have five of the top ten courses in Australia in Tasmania—it's un-
2: it's unbelievable. It's fantastic it is. for Tasmania. It I just
0: is. and and but to me, this one, as good as the other ones are, and they've got a great routine among themselves. But this allows a lot more people to touch down in Hobart as a logical starting point mm-hmm. for international tourism. Yeah, um, it's harder to get to Bridport or Curry. Well, the, so,
2: the the trip so so leaving the King Island courses to one side just for the minute, but the mainland Hobart, uh, Tasmania, now becomes a mecca. Yeah, I mean it's an hour from Launceston to Barngarla unless you fly onto the course, and it's twenty minutes from well, not in probably fifteen minutes from Hope to get your bags. Once the once you get off the plane, you can literally be at the golf course because easy to get in out. At, in and out of Hobart Airport. Absolutely. You could you could, once you got your bags, it could take fifteen minutes to get to the golf course. You'd be On the first tee. Yeah, that's uh, unbelievable. It's epic and things like
0: Ratho Farm in the middle could cash in. Um, you know, in the Midlands of Tasmania, it could all just be one unbelievable international route from Hobart
2: well, right through. Well, you think about it. Like what we celebrate uh, in Melbourne, we celebrate the Sandbelt. Mm-hmm. The one problem with the sandbelt is that they're private courses. Yep. They're hard to get on. Yep. Not here. No. Nah. These are all public. They are all public facilities. Yep. So in terms of um, accessibility and um, go-to zones for golf adventurers, uh, you could argue that Tasmania is going to be a bigger draw card than our famed sandbelt because it's easy to get on. The accessibility factor. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, Sometimes it's a bit striking when you hear you might have to pay $100 for a round because that's not what we grow up playing because we all grew up, as we've mentioned previously and we will again about public courses, we all grew up playing the most accessible and cheap and readily available courses. So we, you know, maybe that's a $5 course for juniors or yep. a $25 for, for adults now. So to hear 100 or $200 is um, a little bit bracing for some, which mm. is totally understandable. If you're Mr. or Mrs., golf billionaire in Long Island or, you know, the highlands of Scotland or something to go and pay 150 bucks to play at Bamboogle or yep. Seven Mile Beach is a drop in the ocean. That That's a pittance compared to what they might have to pay to go and play somewhere else. This puts that whole world realm in its place. I think yeah. it's, it's an accessible area financially and, Um, logistically, I know it's a bit harder to get there time wise, but logistically it's very doable, especially from Hobart. And as you say, there's no barriers that makes it for the hoity toity.
2: Well, the more you get these world-class, um, golf courses that are accessible to anybody, the more I think players will be encouraged to go, you know what? I'd love to be a member of a top flight golf club. I'd love to be like, I'd love to. Yeah five or six or four or whatever it is thousand bucks a year I'm happy to pay that but if I know that I can play at say so Ringwood Golf Club you know three times a month uh, and just rock up and pay the 30 bucks or whatever it is to play there I don't even know what the green fees are at that many public courses nowadays but 25 30 bucks go down to Yarra Bend or wherever it is that's where I play but two or three times a year. I'm going to have my trips. Yeah. I'm going to have my trip down to Tassie. I'm going to spend a week and a half. And that's where I get my hit of world-class golf. And it's going to cost you maybe a thousand bucks, 1500 to fly accommodation. But there's your membership. Yeah. Of an elite golf. I think there'll be a lot of people who are going that that some will be in a privileged enough position to do both, but there'll be a lot of people who financially have to make the call. And, um, there'll be no shortage of golf being played. That's the one thing. There'll be a lot of people playing golf. Um, there might be a bit of a balance to make those courses fit into what people can afford, but it's going to be it's going to be world class, and it'll be quite something. Um, what other bits and pieces before we get out here have you got for us?
0: Uh, I've got plenty. There's so yep. much to talk about. Um, I just want to mention um, the New South Wales amateur that's that's going on at the moment, Andy. Um, Speaking of great waterside courses, they played it this week at uh, at Cowinda Waters and Magenta Shores, yeah, right. just between Gosford and Newcastle. For those who don't know, and wow, what a great spot that is! Yeah. Uh, unbelievable. Uh, I just want the match play is ongoing, but I want to give a shout to Kelsey Bennett, who's from uh, Mollymook in the south, yep, and Jeffrey Guan, who won the women's and men's sections of the stroke play. Um, as we speak right now, the match play is still going on, so good luck to all those involved points me towards the Australian amateur coming up. Um, for those who are unaware, Andy, we moved it into the vacated or the slot vacated by the Women's Australian Open, which meant we could play it uh, at Kuyonga, uh-huh. which I think is yep. epic for yep. those uh, involved. Um, a lot of logistical changes to make around borders of, uh, I guess, enlarged the field might be the right word. I'm not really sure. But I just want to read a couple of things to you, if you don't mind. No, go. Yeah. It's the, it's the. this is going to be an absolute shootout for the ages at this tournament on both men's and women's side, because I think we missed a year last year because of everything that's gone on, mm. where players didn't rush to turn pro. So we just lost Steph Bunky out of the um, amateur ranks short time ago. So good luck to her. She's down playing Rosebud, yeah. at Rosebud this weekend. Um, but have a listen to some of these handicaps, Andy, if I... If I just uh. click on the handicap uh, button here on the on the entry list, um, Elvis Smiley, the aforementioned Elvis Smiley is playing off plus six point two. Uh-huh. Basically you need to be a plus two handicapper to play in the that's not technically right, but roughly a plus two handicapper to get in this field. Yeah. And there's like hundred and fifty blokes in the field and thirty-five or plus fifty-five or something women. Um, and Kirsten Rudgeley is, you know, almost at plus six on the women's side wow. and this is a shootout. It's going to be unbelievable. If I just went through a couple of the names, so Connor Fuchs is off plus 5.4. Um, Jack Thompson's been really prominent in professional tournaments. Uh, we've got uh, Jed Morgan, the defending yeah, yeah. defending champion. Uh, we've got Lucas Michel, who's covered himself in glory so many different ways lately on the women's side. Louis Dobler as well. And on the women's side, uh, Grace Kim's going. All the New South Wales team it has been a powerhouse recently is going. The WA team, Kirsten Rudgley. Uh, it, it's going to be an epic shootout over there. I, I'm going yep. over, in. <laughs> yep, yep. I can't wait uh, to get back to tournament play myself yep. and just be watching some of, I think, it stands to be one of the best amateurs in a long time. Yep. Just because we've got two years of... People who ready to yeah, bursting to get the, on the pro they're yeah, desperate
2: to get at this yep, yeah yeah and
0: this is their this is their one shot and so. for some of them it'll be
2: their probably their amateur swan the swan song like, absolutely yep, there's yep.
0: some who will go on and try and press for the you know the, the British and the US amateur yep. circuits but you know logistics might preclude preclude them from doing that Grace mm. Kim I should mention Andy the aforementioned there she. Uh, was given an invitation recently to the uh, Augusta Women's Amateur, yep. which is fantastic for the second year in a row, but she couldn't go last year, so she had to forego that. Um, but she's very excited about doing that in April, should all things come together. Um, but she's been ready to turn pro for 18 months now, yep. so she's just hanging on. But that's this is a chance for people in Adelaide to get along to Kuyonga, which is a great place to go anyhow, uh, and see some of the best Golfers you'll you'll see in the next five or six years before they're household names, and you've got to buy tickets.
2: I was talking to not to name drop here, but I was talking to Greg Blue the other day, the former Australian cricketer, of course, and fanatical golfer, uh, South Australian boy, proud Adelaidean. Uh, he was saying that he's seen younger a lot. He said he's never seen it looking like he at the moment. Is that right? He said it is mint, like absolute, and they and it's they still had. I reckon they still had a r- bit of room to bring it up, but. He said it was looking as good. It was magnificent. So he was salivating at the prospect of this tournament. Um, yeah, so. One, I'm just,
0: so this is she's the second highest handicapper in this field, Andy, so I don't expect her to win. But I want to give a little shout out. And I'm, this is the, your deepest, darkest section of your black book. Yeah, go on, right on. Here's a name for you. Godiva, as in lady, yeah. Godiva Kim.
2: Godiva Kim.
0: She's 12 years old. I beg your pardon? She's 12 years old from Southport in Queensland. Um parents both Korean, but Dad, I think Chris is his name I think is his name he's been here for thirty five years so yeah. you know, it, he's a, he's up there yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, she's playing off three point two at age twelve oh, and i'm gonna I'm gonna take great pride in you know, I guess
2: just pinning her name to the watch list. So depressing to know that <laughs> there's a twelve year old girl out there who's given me twelve shots. <laughs>
0: And you'd get every one of them tomorrow. Oh, so, I, I need them all. Yeah. I need, need them all. I should see her swing, Andy. God, it's just, it's, God, that's it's depressing. Poetry. That's
2: depressing. Um, what else have I got for yeah. you
0: before we shoot through here? Um, I just want to mention, you know, we, Tiger Woods. Yeah. Just recapping a bit of the news in the offseason. Tiger Woods in for his back surgery. I'm not sure what you think that means for him, but he's hopeful it'll be back for the Masters. Wait and
2: see. You never know. It's, it's the recovery from these things that is often, you know, the, the the surgery they think is going to be, you know, straightforward, but then you hear of complications and it, so you just wait and see. Yep. Jason Day,
0: mm-hmm. um, aided by Chris Como, who's the guy who helped yes. rebuild Tiger Woods' swing, putting him in a new back safe swing and he's confident of getting back to the world number one position. Well,
2: this is it, right? This is for him to be where he wants to be, get back to that. Sp- this is all, I'm not going to say it's the last, roll of the dice for him to get himself physically in the condition. But, you know, with the number of players that are coming through beneath him, if he does want to get back into that upper echelon uh, and we know that physically that's been the thing that's, you know, been curtailing those aspirations in the last two to four years, I suppose, um, this, is, this is a pivotal moment in the next part of the Jason Day
0: career. Hopefully this is the last time we ever say the words Donald Trump on this program, but... Uh... What did you make of his courses being banned from hosting big championships? And, uh, yeah, I'll just leave you with that yeah, question. Well,
2: ill-begotten gain, money. Um, yeah, Oh, look, we could go on a bit of political rant here. I know there's probably a lot of people listening who are, you know, like what Donald Trump does and bring to the table, and that's okay. But um, I've got no issues with anybody. There's other golf courses to go to that have, are more deserving more deserving because they've done it by the book and they've done it the right way. So,
0: so Southern Hills in Tulsa, Oklahoma, mm-hmm. gets the 2022 US PGA Championship uh, as a result of uh, the great man's dismissal. Mm-hmm. Um, very no, very, know, big, just... very big very air, big air commas there, Andy. Air yeah, I, don't, I don't understand what you're <laughs> uh, Davis Love uh, uh, announced as a president President's of Cup, the yeah. US, uh, the captain of the US President's Cup team mm-hmm.
2: this week. Yeah, good. Yeah, he's, I think he's, we've always... Enjoyed. I've always enjoyed listening to Davis Love talk. I think he's played the game the right way. I think he's represented properly, and um, I think he'll. I think he, you know, prima facie, I think he'd, I think he'll do a good job. He's committed to American golf. Yeah. I think he's always been committed to American team golf. So, uh, yeah, good.
0: From memory, he was a key
2: player in the last
0: time the US won on European soil in the Ryder Cup. So it's right a long yeah. time ago, but yeah. he's been committed for that long yeah. to the American. contest So, so good, yeah, good. good. That's a good decision. Yeah. Um and we mentioned Mike Wan. I just did want to mention for those who've listened here for a long time, Andy, um, this year we won't have Joe Charlton and we won't have Justin Falconer, yeah. they've both moved on from Golf Australia, so a shout to them for their efforts on yeah. the podcast, and, um, but we will have, um, and I'm really excited to have um, a greater relationship now, I think people will start to see a lot more with the PGA and Golf Australia together, and the WPGA for that matter, but Nick Dasty, who's been a guest, is going to come on and be a co-host regularly, right. so um, right. hopefully... Get, you get to see a bit more of the um, the, the PGA's brand of, of doing things, which is going to be great. Um, and I, I we haven't had time this week because there's been so much going on, but I've got, Andy, the two of the most extraordinary stories you'll ever hear in the next few weeks. I right. can't put a specific date on them, but if you've got scoring stories you've heard before, you ain't heard nothing yet. I'll just right. leave you with okay. that little tease. Well,
2: you can find them. If anyone can, you're the best at it. So um, I'll look forward to hearing those.
0: And I, I should give one shout to Golf... Um, sorry, the, My Golf and Get Into Golf. Because, but golf's booming. Yep. It has for six months, nine months now. It's still rolling along. If you've wanted to get your kids involved or you've wanted to play, the two programs that are going gangbusters are My Golf for the Kids and Get Into Golf for Everyone Else. There's segmented programs for women, for all abilities golfers, for older golfers. Get involved. Go via the Golf Australia website, right. golf.org.au, Perfect. Either forward slash My Golf or forward slash Get Into Golf. Um, check it out. You do yourself a favor. There's there's people your age, your stage, your willingness, already raring to go.
2: Yep. Don't be intimidated. It's uh it can be scary to think about making the first step, but uh the programs that Hazy's just mentioned make that a whole lot easier. Uh, that's it. We're done. Thanks to Hannah Green, thanks to Todd Harper, thanks to Mark Hayes, thanks to everybody for tuning in. Back for another year. This has been Inside the Rope. See you next week.